0: All right, this is it, the last week of Made. We're wrapping up our series tonight, and um, no, since we missed a week in February, I think it was February 6th, we missed because of weather, um, we're going to spend about eight to ten minutes Hitting on week three, I'm going to give you the big idea for week three, and then we're going to go into week four. So I'm going to give you two weeks and one night. So buckle up, and here we go. All right, so um, we're going to start with the scripture. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to look at this scripture, and I actually want to show it to you in two different versions. Um, the, The one is the ESV, and one is the NLT. And it starts out this way. It says, all things are lawful to me. The NLT says it this way. It says, you say, I am allowed to do anything. And for some of you, you're like, yes, this is the verse I've been looking for my entire life. And you want to memorize this verse because this, I mean, this is the reason you've asked your smogger leader so many times. How far is too far? Because we want to, do, to find that verse. We want to find that way that we can just go and do whatever we want to do. And this scripture says, I am allowed to do anything, and this is in the context of sexual immorality. And this is what it says. And we're always, we're always trying to figure out how we can get away with certain things and where is that line that we need to draw? And Paul is saying everything. You can get away with everything. You're able to do whatever you want, but then he goes on. He says, All things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. Or the NLT, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And this verse perfectly sums up the balance between freedom, I can do anything, and responsibilities like everything's not helpful. It's not good for you. Yes, you can technically, technically do anything. That is true. But just because you can do something doesn't mean it is good for you to do. So when it comes to your life and your body, you have a lot of freedom. You have a lot of freedom. In fact, you have more freedom than you've ever had, especially if you're in high school. And the older older you get, the more freedom you will have. If you're in seventh grade next year, you'll probably have more freedom. If you're in eighth grade, ninth grade, if you're a singer next year, you're going to have a lot of freedom because you'll be in college. So you have more freedom now than you've ever had before. So can you hook up with that guy or girl? Can you send that pic? Can you look at that site? Yes. You had the freedom to do that. Now, should you do that? That's a totally different story. But you had the freedom to do that. But Paul says the question isn't, can I do something? No, the better question is, should I do something? So let's be real. No one, no matter how strict your parents are, no one is following Your every mood, move right now. And at some point, you're going to be alone. Or you're going to be alone with someone. And at that moment, you will have the freedom to do whatever you want. You have that freedom. And according to Paul, you need to ask yourself what you should do with that freedom. Because mishandling freedom actually leads to less freedom and less control. And this is what he adds at the end of that verse. He says, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I would not be dominated by anything. And the NLT says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Because not only can something not be good for you, it can take control of you. But when you show restraint and you care about what you should do, you end up having more freedom. And Paul says that we're made to be in control, not to be controlled. And we've been given this amazing freedom, but the only way to truly experience freedom is to be responsible with that freedom. And when it comes to our sexuality and when it comes to being responsible, that means taking control of what we experience and what we view. So here's a big idea for week three that we're not going to really spend much more time on. And it's this. You were made to be the boss of your body. You were made to be the boss of your body. Your body wasn't made to be the boss of you. So let's get practical and let's talk about how we can do this. Here's a few things. One, talk about it. Talk about it. That's a good place to start. Talk about it at church. Talk about it in your small groups. Talk about it with your parents. I know that might be weird for some of you, but talk about it. Talk about it. Chances are your small group leader has gone through some of the same struggles and issues that you're facing right now. And they can be helpful for you. Talk about it. Find a trusted, a trusted adult and just let someone know what you're dealing with. Talk about it. Number two is practice saying no to the things you aren't good, that aren't good for you. Practice saying no. To for, for a lot of us, this is easy. Like you don't have a problem saying no to something or some, someone. But for others of us saying no isn't easy and you may feel pressured for all different kinds of reasons. So practice saying no to things that aren't good for you. Number three is decide ahead of time what you're going to say no to. This goes back to the guardrail series. If you were here for the guardrail series, this is what we talked about. And here's the truth. A lot of sexual behavior isn't planned out. Like we don't wake up one day and says, you know what? I want to plan. Some of us maybe, but we don't really have a plan. It's like, you no, know I want to screw up my life in this area today. We don't have that plan usually. But a lot of times those things happen. Why? Because we don't set up that guardrail. I'm going to point right here because this is what a guardrail was for four weeks. We don't have that guardrail in our life. And the point is, decide ahead of time, go ahead and set up now your guardrail of what you're going to say no to. This is my, this is my guardrail. This is my limits in this area. And we're talking about sex. So this is my limit. This is where I'm going to say no to. If you decide that now, if you decide that ahead of time, when that, when you're in that situation, which most of you will be in that situation at some point, it it will come off. Nope, nope. That's as far as I'm going in this area. So the best time to decide what, what not to do in the moments is before that moment happens. When you're in control. Remember we talked about debauchery. The loss of control. And a lot of times when you're put in these situations. Whether you're by yourself or you're with someone. You don't have control of your emotions in your body. And your body would take over. So decide ahead of time. And then um, number four is this. Decide now. What you'll do to get out of tempting situations when you're in it? Because like I said, you will be in situations. So go ahead and decide now, and we're going to give you a worksheet in your small group that you can go home and you can kind of think through this stuff. OK? But decide now what you'll do to get out of tempting situations when you're in it. So what will you say? Where will you go? What or who will you tell? Make a plan. Is your small group leader someone that you can call if you're in a situation? Is your parent someone that you can call if you're in a situation? Make a plan. And then when you find yourself in that place where you have to make a decision, decision has already been made, and you have a plan of action. Now, I realize, and Amy hit on this last week, that for some of you, you're thinking, um, what about the control that was taken from you? Know, Amy talked a little bit about um, the sexual abuse that happened, and for some of you, that that's that's your story. You can relate to that. For some reason or someone at some point abused you sexually, and for you, it was taken from you. The sexual decision that someone else pressured you to make or made without your consent. If that's you, first, let me just say I'm really sorry, and it sucks. And I think one of the best things that you can do tonight is tell someone. Because you heard Amy, I think she said this last week, that it was college before she told someone. Don't hold it in. Tell someone, tell your smuggler leader, tell Amy if you're a female, tell me if you're a guy. Tell someone. You shouldn't have to process that by yourself. But I also want you to know that the same truth applies to you that you were made, made to be the boss of your body and you still can be. That thing that happened to you was never God's desire for you and he can help you take back control by being the boss of your body now, even if it weren't a choice before. Okay. There it is. Week three. We're done. All right, so we're moving on. So here we go. We're going to spend the rest of our time in um, week four. So let's just kind of recap everything that we talked about in these three weeks. So here's the big idea for the last three weeks. Um, we talked about that people are made, of they're, they're valuable, right? They're not objects. That's what we talked about in week one, that people are, are of value. They're not objects. And then we talked about that sex was made to matter. And then we just finished talking about and that you're the, you're the boss of your body. And this week, the, the, as we close up this, this series, we're going to talk about this last thing is we were made for more than sex. You were made for more than sex. Let me explain. For most people, what we believe about sex and is based off of messages, messages that we've heard from other people. It could be from culture, it could be from TV, it could be from, from music, from movies. It could be from something else. It could be from your parents. It could be from friends. It could even be from church. However, some of these messages are not good messages. Here's some examples. Maybe your friends told you that if you had sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend, that, that would guarantee your future together. That sex would make sure that you wouldn't break up. Or it might even save the relationship if things are not going well. Or maybe you've heard that if you have sex, that it would keep the other person from cheating on you. Or on the other hand, maybe you've heard that if you refuse to have sex with someone, that they will start cheating on you or they will leave you. Maybe from movies or TVs, you thought you were taught that sex is how you communicate for someone that you care about. If you love someone and care for them... You'll show them that by having sex with them. Maybe you've heard that sex makes you a man or makes you a woman and not just a kid anymore. Maybe you believe that if someone wants to have sex with you and you agree that you feel valued and better about yourself. Maybe you feel insecure about the way you look or about your body or about your social status or about your relationship status. And if you just give yourself away to sex that you'll make you feel better about who you are. Maybe you've heard that if you wait until marriage to have sex, that everything will be perfect. Your marriage will be be perfect. Sex will be perfect. Everything will be perfect. Maybe you've heard that sex is a reason to get married. Maybe you decided to wait and then it becomes too difficult and then people will say, just get married. You think that's going to fix everything. You've probably heard that sex is for marriage. Spoiler alert. That's what we believe. But sometimes people also think that means that everything but actual sex is okay. That you can do everything else but actually having sex or obsessing about sex as long as you you don't have sex, it's totally fine and healthy. Or if, if you've had sex before marriage, it's hopeless and you've messed up your life because of that. The point is this. You're getting all kinds of messages. All kinds of conflicting messages, whether it's from parents or from your friends or from movies or from media or culture, whatever it is. You're getting all kinds of conflicting messages about sex. And a lot of them are not True even if they were given in best intentions, some of these may have been given to to you by your parents and they're not believers. But they are encouraging to try it out and to have it and to do it. Now, a lot of these are untrue messages and it all boils down to this big idea that sex is everything. That's why they want you to believe that sex is everything. And the problem with this way of thinking is this, that this turns sex into something that it was never made to be. And it's this. Sex is a God. Now, maybe you're like, whoa, that's a little bit of an overreaction. Um, but here's what I mean by this. When we make anything more than it was made to be, when we elevate something beyond its intended value, then we're making that thing an idol or any God. And we're giving giving it more power than it was made to have. Like when you think having a boyfriend or girlfriend will make you feel valuable or having a new car will make you feel important or how you look will determine how important you are as a person. Now there's nothing wrong with a boyfriend or girlfriend for most of you. And there's nothing wrong with having a new car or, or caring about your appearance At the same time, those things should not ever determine your worth or your value or your significance. And neither should sex. So just to be clear, sex is important. And sex does have its place. And sex is a lot of things, but it's not the most important thing about a relationship or about someone's life or about a couple's marriage. God has bigger plans for you than sex. And there's more for you in life than that. So, to illustrate this, we want to look in scripture. Genesis chapter 29, 29. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Genesis chapter 29. And I'll tell you a story about a family who lived thousands of years ago. And I get talking about people that long ago it doesn't seem relevant to us today. But sex has been around since the beginning of time. Or you wouldn't be here. So, and since sex has been here since the beginning of time, there's been issues and, and, Things with sex—that's not been um, God's way, and it's been messy. And so, sex is not a new thing. So, before we jump in, let me say this. Let me kind of give this preface: that what you're going to hear tonight—if you're new to church, if you've never been to church before—you're um, going to hear the story. You're going to be like, "That is weird. That is strange." Um, but just know that in the context. Of this time period, this is not strange. This is not anything weird that's happening. So just relax when you hear what's happening in the story because there's a lot in it for us and there's a message in it for us, I believe. So as we pick up the story, we'll look at, look at a guy named Jacob. And Jacob was one of Jesus's ancestors, early ancestors. And Jacob had already experienced some crazy family drama. And he was sent to go by his father to go live with a guy named Laban. Okay. So he's living with Laban. And this is where the story begins. And Jacob hasn't seen crazy yet. It's about to get real crazy up in here. Here we go. Verse 16 of chapter 29 says this. Now Laban had two daughters. All right. This is where Jacob's living. Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah. The name of the younger one was Rachel. Okay. Pretty simple so far. Leah's eyes were weak. I think that means she was ugly. I'm not really sure. Um, Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Okay. Jacob loved Rachel. Duh. Right? And he said, I will serve you, Laban. He's talking to Laban. I will serve you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, right out of the gate, this sounds a little bit weird I know, but you get to understand that in this culture, the 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 father kind of owned the daughter until the daughter got married. So even though this sounds kind of weird, Laban this is Laban was in a position to make and and accept this kind of offer that Jacob was giving. So, and uh, so Jacob did exactly as he promised, and he worked for Laban for seven years so he can marry Rachel, which. I think it's great dating advice and it's biblical. And I think we're going to practice, practice this with Selah. So dudes, if you ever want to date Selah seven years, you can work for me. We'll start with seven. All right. So once Jacob finished those seven years, this is so crazy. He got his wish, Right. No, check this out. Verse 22, um, so Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. And But in the evening, and some translation says in the dark, which makes a lot sense when we hear what's happening here. He took his daughter Leah, not Rachel, the ugly one, right? (laughs) Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went in to her, meaning, you know, bound to come. That's what happened there, right? And then verse twenty-five says, "And in the morning, behold, it was Leah." And Jacob said to Laban, "What is this that you have done to me? Isn't this crazy? Now, this is the worst prank ever." This is not cool. And we're moving into some reality TV here. Right, this is getting a little messy. So Jacob went to Laban. And he, he has some questions for his father-in-law. He says this. says, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why did you, then did you deceive me? And Laban says, is it not so done in our country to give you the younger before the firstborn? Complete the week of this one. And we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. This is not the kind of father-in-law you want. All right. This is insane. But he says, this is our custom. Like the older daughter has to get married before the younger one does. It's the custom that, that has to happen. So this, that's what happened. He kind of tricked him into doing this, and I would be like, "Dude, where was this information like seven point one years ago? Like when we have when I had my you no know, son-in-law tryouts, and I was talking to you about this whole marriage thing. Like this would have been good information to know, but <laughs> it doesn't happen, and somehow Jacob agrees. So let's recap." Jacob wants to marry Rachel. He worked for seven years so he can marry Rachel. Jacob is pranked into sleeping with and marrying the older sister, Leah. But then he still wants to marry the younger sister, Rachel. So he agrees to work another seven years so he can marry Rachel. You can't make this stuff up. So... It happened, he worked seven years, Jacob marries Rachel, and then they continue, he continued working for Laban, except there's a new problem that's occurred. Beyond the fact that he has two wives, and they're sisters, that's a huge issue in and of itself, right? It says this in chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children... She envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Now, Rachel, that's a little dramatic, right? But it actually makes sense that she was so stressed about this. Because back then, having children was everything. Children was basically a status symbol. Now, you had to carry the family line, which was huge. And Rachel was having issues Having children. And to make matters worse. I mean her older sister. Popping out babies left and right. She's popping out babies left and right. And Rachel the younger one. Is jealous of the fact. That her sister. That's really cool with a mic. I never. Her sister is having all these kids. Like. This, I'm speechless. Like. The bachelor will kill for this information. Like this is great TV stuff here. But do you see what's happening? All Jacob wanted was Rachel. And he thought if by marrying her, that he would be happy, would make him happy. She was his dream girl. And she would make everything right in his world. Why else would you work for 14 years to marry someone? All Rachel wanted was sons. She thought that that would make her happy. And that's why she resented her sister so much for all the kids that she had. Every time Leah had a kid, it was like a stab in the back of Rachel. It's like a stab in the back of what she couldn't produce and what she couldn't have. And Leah. All Leah wanted was Jacob's love. She thought I hear the pops everywhere. She thought that would make her happy. I saw all this at the same time. Ready? I wanna say one, two, three, pop it. Ready? One, her, her, That's a lot of kids happening right there. All right. So Leah, all she wanted was Jacob's love, right? She just wanted Jacob, the, the, the man that she was married to, to love her, to love her. And she was producing all these kids. She obviously got the feeling that Jacob didn't love her. Because if you look at some of the names that she names her kids, it reflected her loneliness. The names were. And she re, she was really trying to make it clear I need a little love and I need a little attention over here, Jacob. And this is about three people who wanted three different things. But oddly enough, they're all connected in some way to sex. Jacob wanted to have sex with the girl of of his dreams. Rachel wanted to have sex to give her something that her sister had, which was children. And Leah wanted a person that she was having sex with and having children with to simply love her. All of them wanted something connected to sex that they thought would make their lives better. They thought sex was a thing that would make their lives better, but sex didn't deliver any of those things that they wanted. See, people have believed unhealthy and untrue things about sex forever. And we aren't the first people to believe that It can make our lives complete or make our lives better or save our relationships or make our marriages perfect or make us feel valuable or wanted. Sure, sex may momentarily solve some problems or help us escape from some pain. But it's never the cure that we think it is, that we think it will be. Because sex was never made to be everything for us. Neither was marriage or love Or children. Sex didn't solve the problems that they hoped they would solve. Why? Because it's not made for that. And maybe you found yourself believing some of the messages that we've talked about tonight. And hearing me argue against some of those messages may seem depressing. You're like, wait, wait, wait. Are you saying sex isn't the most important thing? But here's why we're talking about this. Because when we say that sex isn't everything, that's actually good news. That is actually good news. Remember back at the very beginning of the series, we looked at the scripture and it says this. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Guys, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are. And that means a lot of things. One of which is that you don't need anything or anyone to make you feel worthy. Or to make you feel happy. Or to make you feel valuable. You have those things now. And nothing needs to be added to that. You don't need sex to save a relationship today. And while married sex is a good thing. It isn't what makes you worthy or valuable or important. You were made for more than sex. So, what does this mean for us? Here's what this truth means. If you've made a bad decision about sex, which some of you have, you're still worthy. You are still worthy. If you've used sex to validate yourself, listen, you are still worthy. If you've used sex to prop up a relationship, listen, you're still worthy. If you've acted in, in sexual integrity or if you've not acted in sexual integrity, integrity if you looked at those sites, if you what, listen, you are still worthy. Sex Cannot increase your value. And it cannot decrease your value. Get this, guys. Sex cannot increase your value. And it cannot decrease your value. Because sex is not where your value comes from. This is so, so important. Because when you really get this, you can stop chasing sex like it's the most important thing. You can stop treating it like it's a god And doing what it says. You can stop obsessing over what happens later. And pay attention to the life that God has made you to be living right now. And on the other hand, if you have made wise choices. If you've saved yourself when it comes to sex. And you committed to wait until you're married. And you kept your boundaries in place. That also doesn't mean that you're more valuable than those who haven't. Because sex cannot increase your value and it cannot decrease your value. You are already made valuable and worthy by God. Nothing adds to that reality. So here's what I want you to remember over these past few weeks. God has a plan for you. And he has a plan for sex. And it's the best plan because it honors you and it honors the other person. And it sets you and it sets them up for a better future In other words, God's plan is good because God is good, and God's plan for you is good because His heart for you is good. Here's here's my challenge to you. I praise you because you're for for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works; my soul knows it very well. Psalm one thirty nine fourteen. You need to put this somewhere that you can see it every single day. So for some of you, you need to write this verse out on your mirror. And every morning when you're getting dressed to go to school, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My value doesn't come from having sex or from what sex offers. My value comes from God and God alone. Write it on a bookmark and put it, have this in front of you as often as you can. Carry it with you. Place it where you will see it often. Write it on your... I, mean, and I And I want you to think about this psalm whenever you're tempted to believe that something else will give you the value and worth that you want. I want you to think about it when you're tempted to believe that something you've done has taken that value and worth away from you. This verse is a powerful reminder... That you're valuable, that you're worthy simply because God made you. And nothing, including sex, can make your you worth more or less than you are right now. So as you leave tonight, and as you go to small groups, my hope is that you would remember this truth that God made you, and He made you on purpose fearfully and wonderfully and nothing you have done or haven't done will ever change that truth and what i want you to experience and i want you to, to experience life that you, i want you to experience life that, that you matter and that you matter to god no matter what let's pray God, I thank you so much that you made us and you made sex. And I pray that for students who are here who are, who are struggling with this and students who are not really struggling with this yet, but it will become a struggle at some point in their lives that you just re- remind them that their worth and their value does not come from sex. It does not. It is not the most important thing. And I pray for those who have messed up sexually, that you'll just remind them that their worth does not come from that, but their worth comes from you and from you alone. And God, I pray for those who, for whatever reason, it was taken from them, whether it was some type of abuse or some other thing that happened to them, that they'll just have the bonus to share and share with a trusted adult because they shouldn't process this alone. God, we love you. God, we love you so much. And God, we're so thankful for your love for us. God, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve your love. But you poured it out. Your son, Jesus, you demonstrated your love to us, through the cross. And I'm so thankful for that. God, I pray you'll bless this next few moments as we go to small groups. I pray that you would just... Guide the conversations. God, we just trust you. We love you. And we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. You're free to go to small group. If you are new, don't know don't know where your small group is, come find me and I will take you to your small group. I love you guys. And we will see you next week with your parents.